Welcome to D.A.R.E., the show for innovators, entrepreneurs, and startup leaders who dare to shape the future. Your hosts today are Ned Hayes and Cecilia Mariani. D.A.R.E. is brought to you by Darwaf, the superpower tech team that can make your vision a reality. The D.A.R.E. podcast is happy to welcome Devon Horace to the show today. Devon is a principal at the Portland Seed Fund. He's an investor through Oregon Venture Fund. He's a leader in the startup funding community here in the Pacific Northwest. And he also knows Oregon really well. Devon has worked both with the Portland, the Portland Trailblazers as well as spending a number of years at Nike. So he's a kind of an Oregon native almost here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a Portland native yet. There's a few <laughs> more trails that I have to explore. But after that, I think I'll be pretty tuned in. Got it. Well, it was great to see you at the Oregon Entrepreneurs Network kind of end of year event. So how did you get involved with that? Yes. Yeah, so I've been working with OEN for quite some time. Uh, really, when I started investing in Portland, I really didn't start my VC investment career in Portland until about 2022, 20, yeah, late 2021, 2022. And OEN is, as everyone know in Oregon, a, a strong advocate for startup community. And they do, you know, sort of incubators, but really a primary resource for a lot of startups to be able to get in front of investors as well as get help with their startup from a, you know, accounting, uh, business plan, management, lawyers kind of way. So OEN has always been a good resource. And they asked me to be on the board, but at the time, my capacity was a bit much. Uh, but since then, I've just been supporting them through different investment opportunities. And, you know, I just really enjoy what they're doing. So I try to stay connected. Right. Well, you were certainly connected with the entrepreneurs who were on the panel that evening that you facilitated. So I'm curious, which companies really impressed you that evening? Yeah, no, that evening, I really enjoyed what was the goddess moose? Yeah, yeah. It was actually a really good, I mean, I enjoyed it because I taste the product and I was like, oh, <laughs> we all enjoyed it. Right, right. That was great. You know, one thing that I always caution entrepreneurs when they are doing these fast pitches is just that like, and, and I heard a lot of crowd feedback, which just like being able to get to the end, you know, like how can we invest in you, you know? So, you know, really encouraging any entrepreneur out there when they have a, you know, three minute, five minute pitch is to be able to really highlight your numbers because at the end of the day, you know, you want to get an investment and that is a way for you to get that investment if you're able to really get to those numbers at the end. Right. Well, speaking of investment, you're you're an investor by profession. So I, I know things have really changed in the investment community over the last few years. So I wonder if you could just explain the difference between seed funding and a VC round of funding. I mean, those levels have really shifted. So maybe you could provide us some insight there. Yeah, sure. So when I think of just, you know, investing in general, VC, it, so you have your rounds, right? You have your pre, yeah, your friends and family, pre-seed, seed, series A, B, and so forth. And then when you're looking at an investor, you have your angel investor. The two main investors is your angel investor and your VC, your venture capital investor. And I started off as an angel investor investing in companies on my own, and I had an opportunity to invest with Oregon Venture Fund. I was wow. invited to their fund, 
And with that fund, it gives you access to more deal flows. Uh, typically, VCs give you more access to deal flows. You're uh, working with a VC, so you're becoming an LP, a limited partner in that fund, and is a collective amount of money together. And the management team is investing in these companies. As an angel investor, you're looking out there by yourself, and you're you're trying to get into these deals. And then when you do it in a VC capacity, you are, you know, more so doing it as a collective, doing it together as a fun group. Right, right. So you're leveraging a larger group. And right, you have right. more clout. But in terms of the amount of money that you can get at each level, has that shifted? Because I know back in the 90s, you know, an angel or a seed round was, you know, 10 to 100,000. And mm-hmm. lately, I've actually heard of seed rounds being like at a million dollars. So things yes, are changing, yes. right? So at this point, you see a lot of, you know, companies coming out Silicon Valley and, and even like Austin and some of the bigger tech companies. And during that time with the resurgence of a, of a tech boom, you could say, or, or just more disposable income, there has been a lot bigger seed rounds than people expect, right? You see million dollar, three million, five million dollar seed rounds. Uh, but when you're looking at these typical investors, their checks are between, you know, ten to a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. When you look at a fund like Portland Seed Fund, we typically write a check between fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. That's our typical check size for a seed company, with a few exceptions. You know, if you're a Series A. We typically go up to you know one fifty or two hundred thousand, depending on the due diligence and depending on the company itself, like you know how much capital they need and, and our value proposition for the company. But yeah, we typically stay in that as an angel investor, ten to twenty five, and then as a VC between you know fifty to a hundred, hundred fifty thousand. Got it. So I imagine when you're looking as an investor at seed round versus series a the companies have different characteristics right like like there are different points at the journey so can you tell us kind of what those markers of being ready for seed are and maybe then what being ready for series a might be yes so when you're looking at a company that is during their seed round they found their mvp you know they have a product but it's very it's very early Mm -hmm. it's not you know, making millions of dollars in revenue, maybe they're not making any revenue, generating any revenue at the time. And when you're looking more at a, a series round, a series A, B, C, this is a price round. So you're getting into more, you know, revenue generated company and they have been, you know, showing success and they got a, more investors involved and or interested. So their typical, you know, size there is around, you know, five, 10 million. So yeah. now it can start making sense. A seed round is typically, you know, 3 million and below, uh, typically starting at around two, 250,000. They're like, oh, we're trying to raise, you know, a seed round for 250,000. This is going to help us pay for management. This is going to help us pay for our first product, our round of product. This will help us pay for consultants to help us continue to build the company or engineers. And then once you get to a price round, like a series A, these things still cover that, but now we're looking at full-time employees. Now we're looking at more consistent. We've been selling X amount of units and we actually have numbers and data to back it. So that's the difference between the two. Seed round is 
really just getting started, really trying to raise money for overhead and, and just kind of bare minimum just to get some runway. Series A is a price round where, you know, your investments like a safe note will start turning to, you know, common shares or, you know, this, the investment is more geared towards continuing the growth of a company and seeing. Right. What so just to use one metaphor, a seed round is kind of building the train and a series round is more kind of getting that train on the tracks and moving. Is that yes, fair? Exactly. Exactly. Okay, great. Yeah. Thanks for illuminating that. I mentor a lot of startups and often explaining the difference is difficult for them to grasp because it's all money. It helps the company, but it helps the company at different stages, right? Right, right. Yeah. So I guess an, another analogy we could use plan with the word seed, right? It's like seed round is planting a seed, nutrient, uh, you know, making sure the soil is nice and the sunlight is right. And then a series A would be your plant coming out the dirt. You got a few leaves and you're just yeah. like, all right, you have to maintain it and to continue to make it grow. Right. right. So that's kind of a good way to think about yeah, it. Yeah, that's a that's a better metaphor. <laughs> Speaking of which, you're a principal at the Portland Seed Fund. Yes. So how did you get involved there and how do you help the seed fund succeed? Yeah. So through my investing as an angel investor and also, you know, some awards and things that I won in Oregon uh, highlighting my investments, uh, Portland Seed Fund was looking to raise a new fund, which is Portland Seed Fund 4. They are now in their uh, fund 4, which we recently closed this summer. And, you know, they wanted to switch some things up. You know, they, they have a legacy team there. They wanted some new young talent. And I had, I came in as a consultant. I'm a consultant principal there, you know, working with Portland Seed Fund. And, you know, I just thought it would be something, you know, to bring, you know, some diverse way of thinking, a new way to look at the market, some, some young blood in there. And, you know, for me personally, I thought it was a great opportunity to learn more about VC. Because with Oregon Venture Fund, I am an LP there and I have been doing due diligence there for a few companies. Definitely got me going, like got the engine going. But with Portland Seed Fund as a principal, I am, you know, bringing in deal flow. I am looking at uh, first eyes on these companies that are coming in through the pipeline. And I'm looking at the data room and I'm looking at, you know, I'm passing right. this information to our managing directors and I'm, I'm learning more about VC. because. Any, you know, when you invest, you can invest in stocks, small companies, real estate. Um, but when you're looking at venture capital, it is a different way of thinking. You're looking at scale. You're looking at, you know, growth rate. You're looking at all the different ways of growing a business and growing it to a scalable enterprise. But also you have your legal component of it. You have your accounting component of it. Right. So all these different avenues and different uh, streams within VC that I still am learning and, and looking, you know, enjoying learning at the time being right now. Right, right. You're really putting your hands on the wheel. Uh, the right. Kind of right. Engine. Yeah. Got it. Well, are, are there any companies that you're working with right now that you really want to give a shout out to? Companies that you're really impressed with, that you're happy with your investment? Yeah, absolutely. So one company is Hemex. They were at the panel interview with OEN. Hemex is working on, they are a medical device uh, that are working on different diseases, mainly sickle cell uh, to help, you know, monitor and find cures and, you know, symptoms on preventing sickle cell. And I think that's a pretty cool way. I was able to go to their lab and actually put my hands on their device. Wow. And test out. Um, during COVID, they were able to use that same device to do COVID testing as well, which, you know, really helped 
uh, the company and from its growth stage, but just to be able to be a part of something that is changing the world, you know, be a part of something that is helping be preventative and, and something in the medical field. Um, another company that I am, you know, really stoked about is OpConnect because yeah. it is the EV. Also, they're a part of Pano, uh, the uh, Dexter uh, with OpConnect. I think the EV space still has a lot more exploration to be discovered. I do like what they're doing and being able to provide charging stations to kind of like the middle, lower income class people in these areas. Electricity is, you know, cheaper than gas, but buying an electric car, you know, cars right now are pretty expensive. So being able to motivate people to buy these cars and then find a, a green alternative way to you know, drive around and, and give back to your ecosystem and, you know, just cut back on pollution. I think that's a strong effort for us to continue to explore. And we see where green energy and green tech is going in the future. And I feel like OpConnect can be one of those winners for us in Oregon. You know, when we're looking at companies and fostering companies, it's part of a larger ecosystem. We're representing Oregon. We're representing the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, if that company win, we all win. You know, if even yeah. if investors is like, hey, that's something we could be proud of and say, hey, this company came out of Oregon, you know, like this yeah. is possible. All companies don't have to come out of the Bay Area, you know? Right, right. Well, and speaking of electrical connections for charging cars, you know, I've heard various critiques on charging stations for electric cars, but I also read something really hilarious the other day of like, if you were if you were going from electric and you were proposing a gas car today, Think about it. You'd be proposing a thing that has like 200 moving parts in an engine. And then in order to get it to go extra mileage, you have to go to a special location that has explosive liquid that's mined in Saudi Arabia and has to be taken in a tanker across the world. It's like this is a whole infrastructure that just doesn't make sense. Plus, you got all this engine with moving parts. Why? You know, electric. You can get electric anywhere. Now, being able to get that charging station or getting the correct connector, that's the last mile problem. But electricity is there. You don't have to get this explosive, you know, gasoline across the world and refined. Exactly. So, so like, it just makes more sense long term. And then on top of that, just to add to that, and they're like, what happens once we start having solar panels that we just pull out of our trunk and put on top of our car and charge our car from anywhere? Now we're using solar energy to battery, you know, charge up our car. And it's like, you know, just using all the elements, really getting into the whole green ecosystem. That would be amazing. Just think about yeah. it, just pull out a solar panel just off the top of your car, out your trunk, and just, all right, I'm gonna let my car sit here and get solar energy. Right, right. I'd love to see roads themselves collect solar energy because, you know, they get hot in the summer. There's, right. a lot of, right. there's a lot of kinetic energy there we could use if we could just convert it. Yeah. So speaking of energy to use, there's there's one one thing we haven't talked about, which is the state of black startups and black yes. entrepreneurs. And, you know, Stephen Green, for example, here in town, he's a great mentor of a lot of companies. He's created an event called Pitch Black that's kind of yes. gone nationwide. That's one way to address the disparity. But right now, funding for black startups is behind funding for other startups. So how do we change that? That is a loaded question. 
based on a lot of history we're still you know trying to work ourselves through as a society as a people and i feel like the best way to address that is to continue to push you know and and motivate and encourage some of our legacy vc investors to invest more in diverse specifically black entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. uh one thing that i always advocate strongly about is you know, investing in black entrepreneurs, you have to have some black representation, right? Because this is a culture of which, you know, you may not be familiar of if you're not a part of the black culture. That's like, you know, myself going into a Chinese or Asian culture, trying to tell them, you know, what works for their people, Right, right? right? Or an Indian or a Native American, right? It's, you learn more and you become a student of that culture you know, when you're invested in it, right? Because like there's a, there's a multi-billion dollar barbershop app company that you, you, that barbers can sign up and you create a schedule and create a whole platform, sort of like Calendly, but for barbers uh, for their clients to come in and to book a haircut and also pay them on that same platform. And you wouldn't think of that if you're not of the black culture, right? Because you know when you're in the, you, you got to wait. You just walk right, in. Right. You could be at the barbershop for hours if you don't schedule an appointment. And that's different within every culture, right? So right. something that people just throw away, like, well, you know, oh, that sounds like a cool idea. And then you're like, yeah, but in my culture, this is a big problem to solve. Right. So that goes for any entrepreneur, really. You know, when you're solving these problems, you're you're trying to solve a problem in the system that you are familiar with, that you relate to every day that you see. Right, now, right. The bigger the problem, you know, the, the bigger the company, you know, the bigger the growth. But there are little niche problems that people tend to not think of because they are not of that culture. They are not right. of that. So what you're saying is having people on both sides of the table both the investors and the due diligence people and the startups themselves really helps to find the opportunities and fund them. You you can't just go out there and try to fund things that you don't understand coming from a culture. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one thing that I think about in particular is again, simply being in a room and they're like, Oh, here's, you know, here's a black company. They're working on, you know, soap and they're working on acne and, you know, the oily skin is prominent in the black culture. And if you if no one's at the table that's black and have oily skin or know someone of it, they're going to be like, oh, well, that's interesting. I look forward to see, like, how that turns out. And they start talking about, like, Neutrogena and, and all this uh, proactive. And you're like, yeah, but it's a different problem. And then when you're an investor, encouraging more black LPs and investors saying, hey, I will invest in that idea. That's what's going to help the black founder. Because if no one invests in your idea, then, you know, you're really screwed. Like you're just bootstrapping as much as you can. And bootstrapping can only go a a certain amount of way. So the things that Stephen Green is doing with Pitch Black, uh, the things that I'm doing, investing in black companies and and actually put my money to work in these in the society, in the black culture. That's what's going to really help. I mean, there's many others that's doing it out there. Harlem Capital in New York a fearless fund, even though they are going through all their things, they're making a big way for uh, black entrepreneurs and many more. So I just think that we can continue our effort. And I just hope that legacy members outside of the black community will invest in the black community more. And that's all we can really ask for. Right, right. So you might be able to chart a path. People need to follow that path. 
Right, right. Yeah. And also provide due diligence and say, hey, this is why we think that at the end of the day, Ned, it's due diligence, right? Yeah. So at, it's like at the end of the day, this is why I think this company is valuable. This is where I think it can scale to. And, you know, here are the different possibilities. And, you know, for a bonus, something that I like to do as a black investor is helping that black founder or other investor walk through the steps because they may not know everything. So it's like, hey, here's your series round or, hey, here's your due diligence or partner with this lawyer. So how are you also being a resource for these companies to prosper? So right, right. talk so, about this all day, but this is just something yeah. I think about. Uh, well, them. well, I was I was really impressed with Dexter. He's the CEO of OpConnect, right? Yes. And, yes. and he has multiple startups under his belt. He used to work at Boeing. He, he's a super experienced entrepreneur, and he's able to mentor and help other companies to understand the funding route and understand how to build a company. And he's another example of a black entrepreneur who's really who's really charting a path and showing companies how to get there. Right, right. And we need that too. If you're a successful entrepreneur that maybe had an exit, you know, how are you reaching back and helping other entrepreneurs? And that's what something OEN is about. A lot of companies at OVF and Portland Seed Fund. That's the beauty of being part of an ecosystem as such because you're able to talk to people who have done this, you know, multiple times over or veteran investors and say, hey, I need help. And where can I go? And this is a place where you could go. Right. Got it. Well, so Oregon is really a unique place in lots of ways. But the thing I'm I'm interested in is the fact that Oregon, Oregon might not be known for Microsoft. We might not be known for, you know, Uber or other companies that started in the Bay Area. But we are known for consumer goods like beverages and things that you can actually buy in a store. So is that your experience as well? I mean, is Oregon really unique in terms of those that kind of consumer goods focus? Yes. I see a lot of companies out there, you know, either it's food or wine or, you know, very homemade goods like soaps and things. And I have supported a few entrepreneurs in that effort, not in a capacity of, you know, building a company and see, but for more like pop-up shops and more like, you know, these markets that we have, but it is very unique because it's still a, I look at Portland as a crafty town. I'm from New York. So when I came to Portland, I was like, wow, you can make soap in your kitchen, you know? (laughs) Crafty town. Sorry. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be using that, the crafty town. People are making buttons and it's like, oh, I make these baked goods at home and I come to the market and sell them. I'm like, we could just eat this stuff. Like we trust these people. So, <laughs> you know, these, these are the things that I think about for, for Portland. And, and you're right. You have your Nike, your Intel, your tech companies that are there, but people don't really think about Portland that way. When you, when you hear Portland, you hear trails, you hear IPAs, you know, you hear, you know, our small markets, but it's not really a big tech place like a Seattle where you think of Google Amazon, you know, Microsoft, things like that. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Nike a minute ago and you were at Nike for a number of years. It was kind of formative for you. So can you tell me about your experience at Nike? Yes. I was at Nike when I was a young man, a young pup, I should say. (laughs) And it taught me so much corporate America working for a fortune 500 company, fortune 100 company like Nike and being able to learn about business from a global scale. 
Um, I worked on brand activations and pop-up shops on the digital side, IT operations. And I was always on the road. I was always traveling to different cities within North America. A funny thing, uh, me, my mentor and I, we were just talking and he was recalling the story of when I told him, he said, okay, you know, he was learning about my job, my work. And he said, well, what territory do you cover? And I was like, North America. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, but what territory? I was like, North America, <laughs> you know? And that's um, a big territory. Yeah. Tell me about it. So it was, a, it was a huge learning curve. I learned a lot from these professionals and experts in their field. I was able to go from, you know, global operations, IT operations, brand activations and marketing. So it was really nurturing, fostering ground for me to get acclimated in business. Now, imagine me coming in with that business sense and going into MBA school. I went to Concordia University before they closed. Okay. And they were like, all right, here's an example of a you know, business case. And I'm like, I have an actual business case. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm doing this right now. Uh, so right, right. I don't need your are. examples. I got the real thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I'm stressing about that right now. Uh, so it was an amazing opportunity working at Nike and just being part of a of an ecosystem of such. And like I said, that was like my fostering ground for my first MBA degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you took that experience and you took that MBA and you went off and worked for the Trailblazers too, right? Yes, yes. I worked for the Trailblazers for a year, heading their uh, head of innovation under Krista Stout. Again, another great opportunity for me. And when I left Nike, I really wanted to leave and go to a small, smaller organization and see how I can make an impact. You know, yeah. at a certain point, you know, I'm young, 31 years old, and and I just wanted to find a new path. And I, I was like, hey, like maybe this is a time for me to get into a senior executive level, you know, getting to a different level where directly managing a team and and directly changing the trajectory of a company. And I really wanted to test that out in a corporation standpoint. And it's the Portland Trailblazers, you know, like that's a a city hometown uh, basketball team. And and just to be able to work for NBA team like the Portland Trailblazer was another learning experience, just learning about going from a, a big enterprise like Nike to a smaller front like the Portland Trailblazers, but also making an impact that's going to impact thousands. And it was a great learning experience, my time there. And I learned a lot about the NBA as well. Just like right. I'd totally be remiss if I didn't ask about the sad departure of Damian Lillard yeah. from the yeah. Trailblazers. So, yeah, I, I don't mean to be a downer, but that's a big hit for Portland. Yeah, you know, I, I think when we were talking about it internally, they were like, oh, man, he's leaving. But it was great energy behind it. It was good energy behind it, even from the Portland people, because they were like, my, he's been here for over 10 years. And he's given us a lot. lot. Yeah, see, look, see, he give it, they, they're like, he's given us a lot and they want what's best for the person, you know? Yeah. And this is an opportunity for Portland Trailblazers to really reinvent themselves and, and test out the waters and just see about with new talent you know, the new way of, of the sport itself. But the people really wanted what's best for Dame. And, and I thought that was commendable because he did give a lot to the city. Yeah, he really did. You know, it wasn't a LeBron moment with Cleveland, right? They weren't burning right. jerseys and things like that. So that's so true. That's so true. He, he left on such a good note and such support for him and his family and for the Trailblazers. 
Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I agree. So now that we know what's happening for Damien, what's happening for you in the future? Where, where are you going to be? Are you going to be running a company in the future? Are you going to be investing further? I mean, what's uh, this is one of the end of the year podcasts we have. So what's coming up for you? Yes. So I'm now going on a my six-month sabbatical, I guess I'm going to call it. And I've been really just reading a lot, nurturing the mind, just looking at what's new out there with Portland Seed Fund in particular, continuing to um, consult with them as a principal and look at companies and provide my resources and and some of my skills to the startup ecosystem. Um, I'm going to be engaged in more podcast interviews. I'm going to go on my media run. I haven't done one in, in quite some time, but I really want to step back out there to the market and let people know, you know, the consultant services are available again, starting a new year. And okay. I'm Sorry, you said, to, just oh, to yeah. put a pin in that. So when you say consulting services, what kind of consulting do you provide to, yes, to start? So, yeah, so I have a company called Horse Consulting. I started back in 2017, and it's a program management, uh, a lot of business management. And the more skills that I picked up, I, I've been able to really fine tune what that looks like. And and I spend a lot of time in a startup, you know, ecosystem. So just being able to come into the startup teams, acting as a temporary COO, acting as a temporary, you know program a strategist and just helping them build the strategy for their company, helping them cut on costs, uh, really coming in and giving them a wider business view on how to operate their business and just being a resource for the community. So that's something that I want to continue working on as we enter the new year. And who knows, maybe a company would say, hey, Devon, we find you valuable and we're looking for a COO or we're looking for a CEO to help us and you know, depending on what it is, you know, I would love to contribute to a company's growth. So we'll see where it goes. Got it. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. That sounds like a real resource for the Portland community. So you heard it here first. He's available. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our last question is always the final question we close with. We're a podcast about daring to dream. So what future do you dream? What, What future do you dare to imagine you can make possible? I that is a that is a great question. The future I dream of is being multi-planetarian so we can go to different planets and build and from a more down to earth example is to continue to help the growth of the black community and black entrepreneurship and other entrepreneurs of color and being a beacon or being a conduit between some of our legacy members in the space and our newcomers and really fostering and building our future together. Uh, I, I think it's very important for us to do a better job at the partnership we have as humans here in this society and being better to one another. And I would like to, I would like to be a part of that in any way I can and help build these relationships as well as continue to build my relationships uh, that I have with others um, because I'm I'm not, you know, everyone's cup of tea as well. But I'm hoping that we can be better partners to one another. We can help continue to help and support one another, no matter what background you come from, no matter what race you are, because, you know, at the end of the day, we all have to live here together. And there's no better place to live than a happy community that's thriving and is striving to the new place together. So that's what I dream of, just doing this and moving forward together. 
Fantastic. Yeah. Building a better world together. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. And I hope, hope you have a great holiday season and we'll, we'll catch up again in the new year. Thanks, Ned. Let's catch up soon. Okay. Thank you. Thanks to our guests today for their great insights on D.A.R.E., the podcast for innovators, entrepreneurs, and startup leaders. If you'd like your story to be featured on D.A.R.E., just contact us at info at darwaft.com. D.A.R.E. is brought to you by Darwaft, the tech team that can make your vision a reality.